Hey, everybody, we're going to pick up our conversation we started last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to that episode, and then you can listen to this episode. This is part two of a two-part series. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. You know, CEOs fail for a lack of execution, a lack of delivering on the commitments. It wasn't because of a lack of strategy. Most of these guys and gals all had good strategy. They just couldn't get it done. Literally, from their lips to your ears to your hands. That's execution. So, so I've learned that, um, or rather I believe, and my data shows me that most of my clients and, and most of the companies I work with uh, are going to fail unless we intervene and help them with the right cadence, the right rhythm, the right habits, so that it can be effective and successful. And I, I really want to get into that. And right before we do, I do want to ask you another question about your your career in multiple companies. I'm just curious about this because I've talked to a lot of different entrepreneurs about this and everybody seems to have a little different strategy. But how did you take your momentum from this company you started and turn that into your next venture? Like what was your thinking or strategy or was it, you know, took capital from that and then started something new or, you know, and that kind of leads into also, you know, what, what did you do next? Is this the company that you grew, you know, into one of the 8,500 companies or is that another company? No. So my very first company, uh, Metasys, I grew that seven years from zero to about 25 million sales and I, and I sold it. And that company was a rocket ship and we were 151 on the Inc. 500. We won a lot of awards. Mm -hmm. We were Entrepreneur of the Year for North Carolina as well, the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year thing. So we we were we did very well with that company. So when I sold the company, I was thirty three, and mm -hmm. I was kind of young, and, and I um I bought a house on a golf course and played golf and pissed off my neighbors. You know, I I bought this <laughs> house on the ninth green, and it was beautiful on the ninth green. So it's okay, you know, on the ninth green, you can go out there. and practice putting if you want to and everything. As long as no one's coming down, it, it doesn't matter. But I I was trying to work on my game, right? And I was not a very good golfer. So I, I figured that why should I walk to the front of the tee box and hit the ball here and then walk back to the front of the tee box? So I would play the whole front work and backwards. I mean, I, I would do it when people aren't coming down. Sure, but my sure. neighbors would be like, what the hell is this guy doing? I would tee off from the green. I wouldn't spoil the green. I would get off, you know, to the side. Sure. But I, I literally drive the ball back to the tee box. And then I turn around and drive the ball back to the thing and put it in and then do that back and forth. So, so but that's kind of, that's kind of tells you a lot about my personality. I, I wouldn't do it. Uh, if if I was in people's way, if I saw somebody coming, right. I, I stop. But at the same time, I was like, why would I not do that? Why would I walk, yeah. you know, 20 yards or, or, or 100 yards, 150 yards just to hit the ball back here? So so I do that. Yeah. And are, you, after a while, are you the type of person that also, you know, like if you're in a restaurant and there's not enough seats, you just like, oh, well, let's just rearrange the furniture. Like just grab yeah. some stuff from over there. Let me grab this bench. Yeah. Yeah, I would go to the. I, I would, in fact, my I would go to the my like if we needed another chair, I just yeah. go to the guy next to me and go, "Excuse me, you don't use this chair. May I have it?" 
Yeah, exactly. Right? And my wife would yep. say, you're not supposed to do that. I said, who said so? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, he, I asked very nicely. He could just say no, sure, right? Yeah. He could exactly, say no. Right. I, I need the chair. I'm like, no problem. Yep. So, yep. but yes. But to answer your question, you know, I, I'm not the typical entrepreneur that, so I learned a lot about myself. I think that um, mm-hmm. one of the things about what I do is I do a lot of self-reflection and I teach all my mm-hmm. clients to do a lot of self-reflection. So mm-hmm. when I sold my first company, I really did not know what else to do. And I think I learned, mm-hmm. I was very lucky because I was 33 and I learned that my identity was all caught up in that company. But I learned that medicine isn't Patrick Tien. Patrick Tien is Patrick Tien. But most of us entrepreneurs, we don't realize that. You know, we get all caught up in our identity and the company are one and the same. So I think I was very lucky because I only had that company for seven years and I was really like super tight to the company. I mean, I couldn't believe it that when I left that the company didn't die. I mean, yeah. I, didn't want to come, I didn't want the company to die, of course, right? I wasn't like, I sold the company, I didn't want it to die. But I was genuinely surprised hmm. that a company could live on without me. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it's a dichotomy of thought because on one hand, I knew it would survive because it's a pretty decent-sized company. It had, had almost 200 almost 200 employees, had a lot of Fortune 500 clients. I mean, it's a company. It's not a small little dinky thing. So logically, I knew it would, of course, be fine. But then my ego was like, are you serious? Like, this can survive without me? <laughs> yeah. So so there's that, and I'm sure you've had that experience, right? Sometimes where it's like, yeah, logically, yeah. you know. Oh, for but sure. But emotionally, yeah. like, what the hell? Are you serious? Yeah. Right? So, uh-huh. yeah so I had that moment. Um and then I, I wandered in the desert for a couple of months, not knowing what to do. And I realized that I didn't really enjoy that very much. So then I started my second company and um, it was venture backed and it was, you know, I, I thought I was going to enjoy like starting companies, selling them. But then after the second company, I began to realize that I'm really not, I may have the skills, but I'm not the perfect, I don't enjoy buying, uh, making and flipping companies. So this is my third business, and I've run this business now for 17 years. So, oh wow! So what I what I've done is I've I've realized a few things about myself. One is that I love the people I work with, and when you sell a company, you kind of leave the people you work with. So mm-hmm. I love the people I work with. And secondly, I'm not great in transition. Like some entrepreneurs, I think are really good at, hey, I've sold my company, yay, go on the beach and chill for three months, and then boom. I've got a new company, changing a world-changing idea, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. that guy. I'm not mm-hmm. that guy. I, I thought mm-hmm. I was. I would like to be, but I'm really not that guy. And um, instead, I'm the guy that says, you know, I like the people I work with. I figured out what I'm really good at, what I'm called to do, and I'm called to serve. Really, mm-hmm. I've learned that um, because of my because of my learning desire, I've met with thousands of companies. I have got a lot of patterns in me. I've coached many companies over the last 20 years to be successful. And so today, I, I want to serve CEOs that want to succeed and understand that it's very hard to succeed as, a, as an entrepreneur who grows his or her company to a certain size. You get to this place which I call the ceiling of complexity. And it could happen to you at 10 people, 20 people, 50 people, 100 people. It depends on your leadership capacity. But you get to that, you will get to that point. And when you get to that point, you have to find a way to break through that glass ceiling. And it's really a glass ceiling that you've put on yourself. Nobody said to you that, hey, 
at 50 people, you're going to top out. It's really yourself. At some point, you look at around and you go, oh, shit, I've got 50 people here. I don't know what to do. Okay, that's when you've hit that glass ceiling. I want to help you break through that because if you don't break through that, your company gets stunted, and if you don't mm. grow, you begin to die. So, so there are lots of places in a company's growth where uh, you really just need a guide. You really just need someone to, and I don't know what you need. I mean, some of the companies we mm-hmm. work with, sometimes you need a kick in the pants. Uh, sometimes you mm-hmm. need someone to go, freaking get up and do the work. What are you doing? And sometimes you need someone <laughs> yeah. to encourage you and be a cheerleader and say, hey, you can do this, you can do this. And sometimes you need someone to let you know that what you're going through is hard, but pretty normal. Like, mm-hmm. you're not stupid. It's pretty normal. This is a yeah, pretty normal yeah. problem, you know? So, yeah. so uh, I've realized that that's my calling. So this company mm-hmm. is built to serve, is really built to serve um, company owners and, and their teams to help them get focused, aligned, and accountable so that they can achieve their dreams. So that's that's uh, that's kind of what, what I do today. So I've run this company now for 17 years, and um, I've been doing this for 24 years. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, what you what your services are, what you offer, and that type of thing to, to help CEOs? Sure. So we have three components of what we do. We have a methodology, and hence the book. So if you buy the book, you can get the methodology. The methodology is about putting a company into a rhythm of work. And once you get yourself into a rhythm of work, it's kind of like the suspension of a car. You can go fast, you can take the corner hard, and you're going to be fine. But if you have a poor suspension, you take the corner hard, your, your car goes off the rails, you die. So so, mm. so it's, it's having a rhythm and the methodology to help you figure out how to, how to do certain things. How do you think, work on your strategy and all that? How do you plan? So think, plan, do is the method. How do you take your, your, your strategy and transform it into true plans that can actually be done? What we call mm. execution-capable plans. And then mm. finally, you can plan yourself to death, but you've got to do the work or you won't succeed. So the third part of the methodology is how to do your work on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. You know, Mike Tyson says, everyone has a strategy till I punch him in the mouth. And so <laughs> uh, I've every single strategy, every single plan I've worked with has always been punched in the mouth. So it's a question of what you do when you get punched in the mouth. And so for us, when you get punched in the mouth, you come to your weekly meeting, you, we, you, you take care of that in your weekly meeting. You have what I call spicy discussions, all right? The mm-hmm. tough discussions that sometimes people avoid. And what people don't realize is that when you avoid that spicy discussion, you're working for your competition. Mm. Interesting. So a lot of people don't realize this. Like, let's say you and I work in the same company, and we have disagreement on a strategy. And I say, you know, hey, Ben, I want to do it this way. You say, Patrick, I, don't, I want to do it the other way. But you're afraid to tell me. You're afraid to piss me off, so you don't want to tell me. So now we wait like, you know, two, three weeks. Well, all you're doing, and you don't realize it, all you're doing is you're working for your competition. Because while we're Mm. chilling out for two, three weeks, kind of stuck in our own mess, competition is not stuck in their mess. They continue forward. So we want to help companies, like, get get some spicy discussion on the table, resolve those things. Work is done on a weekly basis. So that's the methodology. Then we have a piece of software, also called Rhythm. Like I said, I've been accused of being overly focused. So the company is <laughs> called Rhythm. The methodology mm-hmm. is called Rhythm. And the software is called Rhythm. Uh, That's consistent. I, I, I jokingly <laughs> say, if I could have changed my name, I would have been called Patrick Rhythm Tian, but I, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. so uh, the software Rhythm is for you to document your strategy and document your, your goals so that you can collaborate and get aligned with your teams 
and also hold you accountable to getting them done. And then the last part of this three-legged strategy, the, 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 the methodology of software, and then we have coaching and consulting that helps you. We facilitate planning sessions for companies of a certain size that need that. And we provide some coaching to help you on a weekly basis get the correct performance habits. Um, what we teach, by the way, is not that earth-shattering. You know, In fact, one of my, my clients after a session with us said, Patrick, thank you so much. Uh, what you need to know is that what you guys teach is common knowledge. And I thought, oh my God, he's going to tell me he doesn't like what, what he, we just showed him. He said, what you guys teach is actually common knowledge. He said, but unfortunately, it's not common practice. So thank mm -hmm. you so much for making it common practice in my firm. So what we mm -hmm. realize is that oftentimes when you do what we do, it's not just the knowledge of our process, but it's also change management. It's also, you know, getting up in the morning, doing the things you're supposed to do, and getting it done. So this is why if you come back to the logic behind sharing everything I know, I share everything I know because I don't know that you can do it. And by the way, you can do it. Congratulations, because you're right. I do have an abundance mentality. There's mm -hmm. like 350 million people out there. It's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. So if I shared with you my secrets, you could deploy it. That's great. Enjoy yourself, right? But um, there'll be other people that will look at it and say, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's no different from, it's the business version of you hiring a personal trainer. So most mm. people like myself, we don't hire a personal trainer because we don't know how to exercise. Like right. maybe the first six months, he, my personal trainer teaches me all this stuff. But mm -hmm. after about six months, I know how to exercise, but I still have the personal trainer because 50% of, well, the trainer said to me, Patrick, you know, 50% of success is you meeting me at the gym. And I yeah. said to her, I said, I agree. But over time, I began to realize that that's more like 90% of success because it's like I get up and I'm like, do I want to meet Dawn? Oh, my God. I've already paid for Dawn, so I guess I better go. I gotta go. Yes, yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah, so I, I, I'm the same way with that kind of thing. I I recently joined a gym literally right down my street, and I go at six a.m. So I literally my alarm goes off at five thirty, and I get out of bed, put on my gym shorts, and I start walking before I have the time to even think about not going. <laughs> it's just like you just gotta gotta get there. Yeah, and and showing up that like they tell you what to do do what they say and then you're good to go. So yeah, I can see how that's very similar yeah. to having a business coach where the value is a lot of accountability. Yeah, but yeah. I would say that what we do is we, we in our coaching practice, we provide a number of things. You know, we provide some business coaching like you just said. Uh, we also true. provide what I call habit training to okay. make sure that on a weekly basis you do the right thing so you can have a great you can have a great week every single week, right? That's so true. that's what we do. We want to make sure that um you have a great Friday every single Friday, right? So, so we have a great week every single week. And I like to say, look, everybody wants to have a great year, but it takes hard work. You know, how you have a great year is you've got to have four great quarters, one quarter at a time. And then in a quarter, there's 13 weeks. you got to mm. have those 13 weeks be great one week at a time. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of repetition in habits. There's a lot of repetition in your process and you, and, and, some people just can't do it well unless somebody helps them. So we help you with the habits. We help yep. you uh, stay focused on what I call your leading indicators so you don't get surprised. We want we want to help people avoid getting surprised. So our, our methodology, our software, our system is all about helping you to predict 
what you need to do so you can do it well and to have an early warning system so that if something bad happens, you kind of get notified early and then uh, go take care of it. Hey, before we wrap up, this has been so helpful, but I do have like two things that I really wanted to ask you. One is I would really love to learn a little bit more about what you said about spicy conversations. I'd like to know what's an example of a spicy conversation and then what keeps that from happening naturally, mm. you know, and, and what do you have to do? To, what do you have to get out of the way so that that can happen? So I call it spicy conversation because, you know, in Singapore, one of my favorite foods is this dish called laksa. It's a hot curry mm. noodle. It's great. If, if there's a Singapore Malaysian restaurant near you, Ben should go in there and order laksa. It's, it's a uh, really nice curry right. noodle. But it is spicy. And, you know, you eat that and then you start sweating and you're That's like, ooh, true. it burns. And then you want to drink water, but it tastes <laughs> so good. You drink the water, it burns, you sweat, and you still keep eating it. And when you're done, it was lovely. So mm. difficult, tough conversations, I call them spicy because you start mm-hmm. sweating. You think, so spicy conversations typically are things that I'm afraid to talk to you about. Mm. And the thought of thinking to talk to you about, I begin to sweat, right? You, you know it. Your heart goes up. Yeah, yeah. My guy, I don't want to talk about it. Oh, my God. He's going to he's gonna hate me. So you begin to imagine all these things. He's going to yeah. hate me. He's going to be mm-hmm. pissed off with me. But that's all in your head. That's all mm-hmm. you. Like the other person mm-hmm. said a thing. And what I want to do is encourage all my friends to go for it and have that spicy conversation. You start sweating. You might have to drink water uh, or or alcohol in this case, right? But you have to drink something, but you have the conversation. And when you're done, the relationship is actually better. But the fear of hurting the relationship, it's ironic because people don't have those spicy conversations because they are afraid that that spicy conversation is going to hurt the other person's feelings. They're going to lose a friend, lose a colleague or whatever. But I've found that I have actually not lost a friend with my spicy conversations because you don't have to be rude about it. In fact, you have to be empathetic and kind about it, right? So, hey, hey, Ben, I noticed that this thing may be a challenge, but I had to share this with you because I care about you enough. And I share it. I don't berate you. I just share it. And then yeah. I, I sit back and go, hey, so, Ben, what, what do you think? Is and By the way, if that feedback uh, was incorrect, that's okay. You know, please just toss it out the window. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So when you do it that way, the other person's like, oh, you know, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So I believe mm-hmm. that, you know, the spicy conversations are the tough conversations that most of us are afraid to have. And I kind of alluded to this earlier. When you don't have the spicy conversations, you are working for your competition. Because yeah. that spicy yeah. conversation is what's stopping you from having great teamwork with your colleague. And anything right. that slows you down just makes it better for your competition. Right. Yeah, that. That is so helpful. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was how can you create, I saw in your notes, you said something about um, stress-free uh, accountability. You know, and some, I think sometimes people think accountability, it sounds like drudgery or, oh, somebody's going to be checking in on me. Like, how does that work? What do you think uh, is a good way to have stress-free accountability? So a couple of things for that. You've you got to do a yoga, a, a Yoda mind mind shift okay so okay. most of the time I get, I, sound, I get this phone call pretty often I say you know Patrick I need some help I'm really annoyed with John and I need to have told John accountable to the work usually mm-hmm. when I get a phone call like that it's a little bit late because what the person really means is I need to dish out the consequences to John mm-hmm. that's what that person really means that person isn't doesn't really mean I could hold John accountable 
So mm-hmm. accountability really begins at the very beginning of the process. And we have this thing we call the five C's of accountability, where you want to really um, make sure, number one, that the person has clarity on the vision. Like, what do you want to do? Why? Why do we care about this? Right? Why do we care about this? Then you want to really make sure we understand the role. Hey, Ben, in this project, I, I really expect you to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Right? So now we understand yep. the role. So first of all, if you didn't even understand that, how can I hold you accountable? Because if you're not doing something, right. I don't feel the good conscience to say, hey, Ben, you need to do this. Then, yep. then, we, then I have to make sure that, that we are collaborating. I want to be collaborating with you. And then there's an ability to coach hey, Ben, I noticed that we're off track a little bit. And then the fifth part is what I call the consequences. I do think that when we start a project, we should educate the person on the consequences. Because too often often we finish, we get to the end of a project and we're all upset because that person hasn't delivered. And we're like, does he not know the consequences? Mm, Well, the truth is he or she doesn't know the consequences because he never said that to him. So, right. so sometimes you may be stewing there going, I can't believe that person went home. I know it's I know it's Friday, but don't they understand that this customer is going to fire us if we don't deliver this? Uh, well, no, he didn't know that because you never told him that, right? So, right? so with accountability, I believe that when you start a project, you got to be really clear on the why. You and I, we got to be mm-hmm. on the same page on the why. And it takes yep. a bit of time to kind of set this up, but you go faster. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to make sure that that person understands the consequences. And the consequences can be positive, can also be negative. So, so hey, we finished this well, here's the reward. That's a positive consequence. If we don't finish this well, the customer's going to fire us. That's the negative consequences. So, And then now, because of that, on a weekly basis, we can hold each other accountable to success. So that's the difference, is instead of holding you accountable at the very end, when really what you really mean is I want to hold, I want to dish out the consequences to this guy. Right. You hold the person accountable on a weekly basis. You know, Stephen Covey said beginning with the end in mind, right? So to me, uh, accountability is beginning with the end in mind, but also keeping the end in mind, not just beginning, but keeping the end in mind throughout your journey and being accountable to whether or not we're going to achieve that goal. And, if, and so accountability means like it's week three of a 50, of a 13-week race. I already know that I have some challenges. Okay, well, tell me. I know it's week three, but tell me. Tell me. Be accountable in week three to tell me that you have some challenges, and then maybe we can collaborate on that together, and we can actually avoid failure, but we can figure it out together. Right, so keep that communication loop open throughout the process, not just when you're disappointed and you're like, oh, well, you didn't do what I asked. It's too late at that point. Exactly. Exactly. It's too late at that point. Yeah. And I love what you said about consequences, because at first I thought you were going for, okay, consequences where you give them punishment or reward. But really what you're saying is, hey, we need to communicate what the natural consequences of their behavior are going to be for them and for the company, not yes. as a punishment even necessarily. I guess it could be that point at some some point, but it's more about them having clarity on the vision and then the consequences of their actions. That's really helpful. Yes. And sometimes people can't connect the dots. You know, sometimes people yeah. can't connect the dots. It's like, it's like I was coaching this, uh, this CEO the other day and, and, he, and he said to me, look, you know, um, we're not that profitable and I don't understand why my employee asked for a raise. And I said, well, why don't you educate that person, right? So we went back, had a conversation and, and the person was like, yeah, I didn't connect the dots here. 
And as a business owner, sometimes you're thinking, well, where the hell do you think I get the money to pay you? Yeah. But a lot of people don't make that connection. So right. I would suggest to the business owners that, the, that are listening, like be a little bit patient and empathetic to the people that work for you because you may know your business and you may know how to calculate like the P&L profit loss and, and your brain is really clear, right? Like mm. if I'm not yeah. making revenue and profit, how the hell am I going to pay your salary? But for a lot of people, they don't think of it that way. They think they come to work, they should get paid. And yes, they should get paid. Uh, but the question is, are you able to pay? So that's why yeah. I think it's smaller firms. Uh, you can So accountability, you can let people know, hey, this project is important because this client, this is a $100,000 account. Consequences of messing this up is the client fires us. That's $100,000 walking out the door. Uh, by the way, do the math. $100,000 for us may mean I have to shoot somebody. I mean, I, I may have to let somebody go. I mean, that's the reality yeah. of a small business, right? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Where do you think money comes from? It doesn't just fall out of heaven for you. Absolutely, and that's really great to be able to connect, so people can actually see. And, and I mean, as an owner or CEO, sometimes you just think everybody's aware of the same knowledge that you have, but no, everybody's got a different focus than you do. So being yes. aware of that, and making sure you're being really clear, it's really helpful. Well, awesome. Patrick, thank you so much for being on the Friday Habit. This has been really, really helpful, very educational. I would love to just share a few things. I was taking notes while you were talking. Here's a few things that stood out to me that I'd really like to remind people of and remind myself of as we go into this next week. So one thing you said that uh, really resonated with me was that the most important thing when starting a business is to go find your first customer. Also, you said, continually ask yourself, what can I learn from this interaction? And what needs does this person have? Uh, you also mentioned, I like this, this is going to stick in my head. You said, forget B2B, we live in a P2P world. It's a person-to-person world. Uh, you also mentioned that it's important to have the spicy conversations and do it kindly and with empathy. And when you're done, the relationship will be stronger. So, man, those are some great things that I learned today. Is there anything you would recommend as an action item for people that may be running their own company or team, something they can do that's simple this week, one step they could take towards making their team a better team? I think improvement comes from yourself first. So I would love for everyone to, if you don't do this already, to do what I call a meeting with yourself. You can meet with yourself every Friday and reflect on the week and plan a better week. And then, you know, come to my website, uh, rhythmsystems.com, and you can download my book as a gift. For your audience mm. oh for wow thank you that's really generous yeah definitely go check that out and what's the url one more time it's a uh, rhythmsystems.com it's my website system.com right. yeah yeah go check that out and thank you for giving away your book and all that knowledge that you have man really appreciate you being on today guys go to the fridayhabit.com to find show notes for this episode you'll find links to our websites ways to get in touch at the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System. It'll show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, guys, thanks for listening. And until next time, live every day like it's Friday. Friday.